0: Is episode 168 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers Podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Podcast Network. I'm James, joined today by Brad and Ryan. Paul's out of town today, but we, we got the rest of the gang here. How are how are you two holding up? Oh, I'm having such a good day.
1: So this we're recording this on Sunday, obviously, and uh, yesterday, Liverpool smashed Crystal Palace. The Badger basketball team smashed Louisville, the Badgers held on to the axe barely. And then, you know, the Packer game, they won. So, like, whatever. I, I, I'm not going to get too worked up about that. So, yesterday was a very, very, very good sports day,
2: and I am still extremely happy about it. I forgot any sports was happening until about 9.30, and I watched the Packers almost lose to Carolina, but yet never be close to losing. <laughs> <laughs>
0: We just spent like a solid half hour before we started recording this, uh, basically doing a, a reporting as eligible podcast. We did, <laughs> yeah. kind of ranting about everything. You know, I've got 10 minutes of that recorded. Yeah. Paul would have plenty to say about that, that game
2: <laughs> recorded, giving him a day off.
0: Yeah. No kidding. No kidding. But I guess tune in in a couple of days for the, the reporting as eligible recap of that game. Cause I'm sure Paul has uh, uh, plenty of criticisms, especially if you look at his Twitter account this morning about the play calling and probably Aaron Rodgers losing the MVP yesterday. So yeah, I mean, otherwise it is a pretty good solid sports day for Wisconsin in terms of results. You know, some of the games were uglier, but now I kind of don't know what to do with today. <laughs> so we're, we're going to sit here and uh, talk some baseball. I first, watch
2: my fantasy teams fall out of the playoffs.
0: Yeah, that's true. So I've, I've got two teams in the, the fantasy semifinals, so I will be uh, stressed for, I guess, financial reasons today, but not <laughs> not rooting interest reasons. So so we'll see how that turns out. But first, uh, we are sponsored again today by Carbon Four Brewing, you know, the flagship fantasy factory IPA. You can try their entire lineup at their brewery on the east side of Madison. You can also get some cool merch online at Carbon4.com. I believe they just kind of unveiled like a, like a camping set with some like Carhartt stuff, Carbon4 branded. So, you know, if you want some winter gear, Car- Carbon4, uh, you should go check it out. It's at Carbon4.com. Use our promo code MKETailgate. You get 20% off your order when you check out. That's Carbon4 Beer Brilliance. You can also help support our podcast network on patreon.com slash MKE tailgate for just five bucks a month. Our ball and glove and above patrons get the minor league extra podcast with Ryan and Brad. You also get polls reporting as eligible mini pods previewing the Packers game every single week. I guess turning to the Brewers, uh, the (laughs) offseason has been really quiet so far. We're almost through December. You know, we're recording this the week before Christmas and they still haven't done much of anything kind of as expected i suppose to be fair to the brewers i think you can count on one hand the number of teams who have actually made significant moves so far this offseason it's kind of moving slow overall but they did uh make some minor league signings at least this week so we'll we'll talk about those they signed dustin peterson who happens to be i guess the mexican league home run leader so (laughs) brewers cornering the market on uh foreign league sluggers For some reason, just like the idea of being the Mexican League home run champion kind of like stirs up images of Major League to me. I don't know. (laughs) Jake Taylor waking up in a hotel or something. They also signed Luis Perdomo, uh, formerly of the Padres. He's a bit more of a long-term signing because he's recovering from Tommy John surgery. So we probably won't see him this year. Kind of a long-term throw it against the wall and see if it sticks kind of guy. They've also signed a couple of other people, a left-handed reliever by the name of Hobie Milner who I have never heard of before in my life. So hopefully you guys can tell me about him in a second here. They also signed Dylan Cousins to a minor league contract, kind of a guy who's been known in prospect circles for a little bit here, just hasn't lived up to what people thought he would be. So we'll start with that group of names. And Ryan, I guess, how do you see them fitting into the system overall? Do any of these guys have a chance to kind of contribute at the major league level?
1: Well, I think Perdomo especially does. I'm very interested in Perdomo. But like you said, we're probably not going to see him in 2021 at all. And I'm still I I was looking around. I wasn't able to find any information about what the contract situation is because Yeah, they signed him to something. So you would assume there's like an option for 2022 on there then that they're paying him some amount of money. There's some precedent for this. This is what was done with uh, Garrett Richards, where, you know, the guy's going to miss a season. So you sign him to like a two year contract and then let him like work out the uh, the issues during that first season at a relatively low salary. And then you have either a, a second guaranteed year or an option year on that where the team can choose. Perdomo is a a potentially good pitcher, and so interesting uh, kind of fits with the the uh, in the ground balling category, a guy who will generate a lot of ground balls with a sinker. And yeah, he was in San Diego, so you have to make some adjustment
2: to the fact that he's going to not be playing in San Diego anymore. He only has really three years of non arbitration. So I think the goal is you're signing him and then he has three years of arbitration or two years Mm -hmm. of arbitration after the contract that he signed this year. So it's one of those team control automatic things, unless he, you know, every now and then we see a contract that signed that eliminates that control. But I don't think with a previous major leaguer that 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 there's not a lot of precedent for that happening. That's generally a person coming over from the foreign leagues, having that type of experience. But I agree even with when you look at his fit, you know, he's a he's a back of the rotation kind of mid rotation guy. Some years he, he's not a high strikeout guy, but he he has pretty good control more often than not. Uh, I kind of throw 2020 out just because we know he had the Tommy John injury and we see before people end up having that surgery. We see a lot of downgrade in performance. So that's more usual than I think. And it's something we can really calculate for. But he hasn't thrown a lot of innings. Uh, He has a little bit of an injury history and doesn't have a lot of experience. But he's always been one of those guys who definitely has excited more often than not because of his potential. And I think Mm -hmm. when the Brewers are looking to take advantage of a healthy guy who they sign for cheap, that's what they're looking for here in an opportunity to really get a guy who, by holding him on the roster for a year, pays dividends later. The only thing is you got to hold him on the 40-man until you get to a certain point, and then you can move him over to the 60-day injured list, and he's mm-hmm. off the 40-man, you clear that spot. You just have to hold him until then and still pay him for the year while he's recovering.
0: And you know Ryan mentioned he he's coming from San Diego. Usually that means like take good results with a grain of salt, but he's also a guy who hasn't had very many good results in the majors either some kind of ugly eras looking at that but you know i did note this when i wrote up the move on brew crew ball that 2019 they finally it appeared to kind of give up on him as a starter a little bit moved him into the bullpen and he had more success there so i don't know do you guys think this is more of a bullpen move do you think they still see something with the rotation
1: I mean, they're all about the hybrid guy anyway, so right. something where he could potentially pitch multiple innings at a time, but not necessarily as a starter, or maybe as a starter, depending on how it goes, I think that they want him for, he's definitely more of a multiple inning guy than a single inning guy, but I wouldn't go further than that.
2: I agree with that. I, I think there he's also a guy that they see a lot of potential in where they can send it to the pitching lab and they've had a lot of success with players like this. This is what they've tried to get out of players like Shelby Miller, where mm-hmm. they take a guy who has ha- had pretty good peaks. Obviously there's not a lot of peak for Perdomo in his history playing with the Padres, but he has had good performance in the minors that have showed the potential to be a pretty successful pitcher in the majors. So they take a guy where they see something special and they say, Hey, we can shine this turd into a diamond and, <laughs> really make something out of him. And I think that's what we're looking at here. A guy where they can sign to a, a pretty low contract item for a year because he hasn't performed well and he missed the season. His arbitration numbers aren't going to be too high. And if we feel he isn't something that we can do after his work in recovery and in the pitching lab, we can non-tender. It's low risk, high reward. It's the exact type of deal that we've seen David Stern's working with in his tenure with the Brewers.
0: Yeah. Yeah kind of a, in that same vein, too. I guess you could maybe throw Dustin Peterson in that category, too. You know, he's a former, I think he's, what, a former second-round pick or something like that. So kind of another post type kind of guy that they're kind of taking a chance on. He's actually younger than Perdomo, if I'm remembering remembering correctly. Yeah, he's only 25. Yeah, which is kind of, so you're still kind of getting a guy who, as of a couple of years ago, is still kind of being thought of as, as a pretty decent prospect, and he just kind of ended up out of affiliated ball this year entirely. So I guess, do you see maybe Dustin Peterson kind of filling that first base hole or corner outfield hole? Do either of you think that he could maybe kind of at least be a platoon bat in that kind of scenario?
2: I think he's the type of guy where you see him come up when the Brewers need to try something new later in the season. You know, we've seen that many times in the last couple of years with, for some reason, all I can think of is Nate Orf, but that's possibly the worst example. Maybe <laughs> more Ryan Healy's, uh, where the Brewers are like, okay, we need an offensive contribution. Let's try this guy. And sure. In the last few years, we've seen Dustin Peterson's lines really increase, especially in terms of power. And we've talked at length on the podcast about how power and hitting is something that can come pretty late. We're looking at a guy who really only one time in an Arizona Fall League before 2019 had a slugging over 450 when he's a power player position player but then finally in 2019 at triple a for detroit he has a 755 ops with a 439 slugging and then he goes to sugarland the infamous sugarland independent league plays there this offseason i'm guessing i didn't do the work but i'm guessing he was one of those notorious or infamous march may minor league cuts that a lot of the teams made which they Mm -hmm. claim normally be made for the draft anyway And then he goes, he plays for independent ball at Sugarland and has a 500 slugging percentage in 28 games in indie ball when you're playing against a lot of the same players you're playing against in the minors anyway because that's where they're going to get paid or they're players who are 27, 28 who peaked at AAA and are trying to find their way back into relevancy. Then he goes plays in the Mexican League, which even has some pro players. He has a good showing there and his power numbers continue to go in the right direction. I think they're looking at a post-hype signing, someone who can really be a benefit for them. But I don't know if he's really anyone they call up before they, again, need to try something different to play at the corners. But I would be surprised if he he continues showing that type of improvement if he doesn't get a shot at some point in the league, because they like this type of player a lot off their bench. Someone who can play third base, first base, in corner, outfield. He has experience at all those positions and can go and do that. Even if he's not the best defensive third baseman, that's never stopped them before. So mm-hmm. they've always liked giving that a try. And he's shown upward progression, which they've always really liked. Yep. All of that, the
1: positional flexibility is big on this one. And I think also, if you look, he has... I think there's there's a, a, a strong potential here, and I don't know for sure. We will need to, to hear more about this as things kind of get examined in the new year. But I think there's a good chance this is a swing change situation that he adjusted because he was not a big home run hitter early on in his in his minor league career. You look at, say, in 2016 as a 21-year-old in A, he hit 12 home runs but 38 doubles. To me, that kind of screams a guy who is, and and now you look at what he's done more recently, where you start to see the home run power really emerge. That sounds like a guy who maybe adjusted a little bit, or maybe just got a little bit stronger and turned some of those doubles into home runs. And that is a, it's a progress, a line of progress we see oftentimes with minor league guys, and even in the majors, when they start getting into their mid to late 20s where some of that power starts to convert. That gap power turns into home run power. So Mm -hmm. the other thing that's really notable about him that I like is he doesn't seem to be a big strikeout guy. I don't want to put too much faith into what we saw with Monterey and with Sugarland because it's such small samples, but he definitely wasn't striking out a ton in those, even though he was hitting for power. When you strike out 21 times and hit 11 homers, that's pretty decent. That's a, a solid ratio there. And If you go back and look kind of throughout his history, we can see like in double A in 2016 at Mississippi, 100 strikeouts in 578 plate appearances. That's pretty solid for a guy that has some pop. So it'll be interesting to see maybe they're trying to uh, focus a little bit more on making contact, which would help after we saw quite a bit of flailing last year i think it gets overplayed somewhat the game has changed a lot so we're not trying to compare this to baseball in the 70s or 80s or whatever but it probably would help to to cut down the strikeouts a bit we saw that progression with the astros when they went from being like the all-time like huge strikeout team one year and then they made some personnel changes and some swing changes and started cheating and
0: <laughs> cheating helped
1: yeah. yeah, though, I mean, even before the, the cheating <laughs> happened, this was a point that was really well made by, oh, Jeff Sullivan. And he talked about this a lot. He called it before the Astros, before any of the cheating scandal stuff happened, before any of that happened, when the Astros were headed into what was it, the 2017 season. He said they're going to strike out a lot less because they got rid of a bunch of big strikeout guys mm-hmm. and replaced them with guys who like hardly strike out. Yeah, So you could kind of see it coming in advance there. And It is a valuable thing to an extent and something that they should kind of look towards but not obsess about would be my preference there.
2: I think in terms of that style of baseball, it's actually really interesting when you look at the last few years of development in that because we've seen a big like peak and valley system when it comes to valuing high walks versus high strikeouts, but high production. It seems like we've had a lot of, we don't really care about strikeouts because if you're not putting the ball on the ground or like if your other option is you're putting the ball in the air, you're not grounding into double play. So who cares if you swing and miss because at least that's only one out versus two outs and putting mm-hmm. the ball or hitting the ball hard and putting it in the outfield is more likely to get the person on base home than it is that you hitting it on the ground, and hitting into a double play. But then, Like every couple of years, it seems to go like no walks are the thing that we really need to look for right now. And it seems in the last few years, we've seen really quick changes in team valuation when it comes to that type of play. It's been very interesting because the Brewers have seemed to be a team in the last couple of years who haven't really cared about strikeouts Mm -hmm. because of I'm, I'm assuming the double play evaluation where you again, a person hitting the ball into the air is just more likely to be a hit and more likely to provide value. Than a guy who occasionally puts a weak ground ball out there. Making a lot of contact, getting a lot of balls in play is obviously the best scenario. But I think when you're looking at those type of production numbers, you're like, eh, strikeouts aren't the worst thing because at least it's only one out. And when the other outcome is a home run, good. But it, it's just funny to see that evaluation. I think anytime a team that can get a player like Dustin Peterson has shown in the last few seasons, where, I mean, even when he had his 137 career-high strikeouts in 2014 at single A, he was substantially, just based on numbers alone, worse with the bat. And as we've seen him even improve with the bat but not improve with the power in his minor league career, we've seen the strikeout numbers go down. So you can make the logical assumption that, okay, those were just because his hit skill was worse than it currently is. So those strikeouts aren't even someone swinging hard for power and ending up with air, that's someone who just at his worst wasn't able to make it as regular contact because he was a high schooler coming into pro ball and had to adjust. And since that, you've seen a significant decline in the number of whiffs, which is always a great thing. And long when it comes with higher power, as Ryan pointed out, we're looking at a guy who in his first six seasons hit slightly more than 40 home runs and in the last two years has hit. 25 home runs so we're seeing that power develop we've talked at length before about how that's a late thing that can come up and eventually benefit a player so hopefully they're finding a situation where they can get someone who not only has a lot of team control but is finally putting his career in the right track and living up to the hype that other teams weren't able to take advantage of
0: yeah well on the other side of the coin we have a dylan cousins who strikes out a ton. If you look at his history in the Phillies system, but we're talking like massive, massive power too. And I actually think I found my new favorite player. So sorry, sorry, Big Dan, but Dylan Cousins, if you look at some of what he's done in the minors, he has a 40 home run season at Double A to his name as an age 22 year old. He also struck out 186 times in 521 at bats that year. So that's kind of the type of player you're looking at with him. And and that was kind of the high watermark for him. He's kind of, he, in the years since he kept hitting for power, he hit 27 home runs in triple a the next year, 21 the year after that, but ended up getting released by the Phillies in 2019 and kind of just bummed around for the last year, sort of like Peterson. But again, sort of like Peterson, uh, another former second round pick a guy that the Phillies used to be pretty high on from what I remember, only 26 years old. He's a big dude, 6'6", 245, left-handed power at Miller Park.
1: So (laughs) There it is. Paul may not be here, but he's here in spirit.
0: He's here in spirit. So, Ryan, do you see anything in Dylan Cousins, or is this kind of just like a flyer on a dude with massive power, and hopefully you kind of catch on a hot year or two?
1: Yeah, I think that's pretty much what this is. And, yeah, this is definitely a sign that they're not totally buying into that strikeout thing that we were just talking about because he whiffs a lot. Holy cow, 194 in 2017, 186 in 2016. Yeah, it is it is a substantial number of swing and miss. So, yeah, but they are, they're in the market for power, and they're in the market for power on the corners. It would be yep. nice if they got more certainty than these guys because they definitely don't represent much certainty. But you want to have these kind of guys around because – when they do pop, when you get a guy like this and he he does find his way in there and it does work out for you, it can be a tremendous benefit to the team at a relatively low cost. And if they're going with the low budget thing this year, then that's they're going to need that.
0: That's right. Yeah. If if you're not going to spend on known quantities, you're going to need lots of lottery tickets. And I I would think this is one, right, Brad?
2: Uh, you know, for me, Milner and Cousins really or Cousins really fit into the same bucket of guys who might be able to help your major league team in a very minimal way, but you need bodies at triple a and the brewers don't really have the bodies that they're are at the higher levels of the minors right now. They need to get a yeah. players or experienced triple a players into those positions to just be people who exist. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the only way to do that is to invite them to major league spring training and give them a chance to show Hey, I'm actually ready. I've done something over the last year while no one else was playing that can help me and really come to benefit my play and make me a major leaguer. So no, I have a chance at making this. But in, in I think in the grand scheme, the goal of the organization was we need bodies for AAA. These are bodies for AAA and potentially bodies who can help our team, our AAA team perform well and win which, will, of course, they they always like that mentality of winning throughout your experience in the minor leagues because then that prepares you for winning at the big leagues for the prospects who actually mean something. But, I mean, they're definitely lottery tickets. The team isn't saying these guys can't help, but I think they're more of bodies to fill the field.
0: Sure. And winning will keep Nashville happy this time around, right? (laughs) I
2: don't think think their happiness matters anymore. (laughs) We'll
0: we'll get to that in a second. But first, the the other, I guess, newsworthy thing is Brewers actually losing somebody from their front office. Ray Montgomery was one of the uh, assistant GMs under David Stearns. Matt Arnold was another one. Matt Arnold got the GM job. Ray Montgomery didn't.
2: We have cleared this up. Ray Montgomery wasn't an assistant GM. Uh, he was the Dwight Schrute. He was the assistant to the, assistant the GM. To the GM. That he was on
0: That's, the right. <laughs> That's Right. Assistant to the regional general manager Ray Montgomery. <laughs> well, now he's going to become the assistant to the GM in Anaheim. He's he's leaving the Brewers, taking a job with the new front office with the Angels. So he's he's a guy who we've kind of talked about. Kind of had a reputation for having a hand in the draft process and the amateur scouting and all that, I guess, Brad, I know we've touched on this a little bit the last couple of weeks, especially talking about what Ray Montgomery did versus what Matt Arnold did. But is this a notable loss for the Brewers? What, What are they kind of losing here?
2: I think it is a notable loss for the Brewers. Obviously he's helped really set a system that works in terms of prospect evaluation development. I mean, they've been bad at developing hitters, but they've gotten a lot of hits on pitchers in his t- uh, timeline, which is, I think, argue a lot of people can argue successfully, is much more important to hit on pitching because it's a lot harder to get pitching on the free agent market that helps your team than it is to get hitting that hits your team. So I I think it's very valuable uh, or a very important loss, but for me, it was always one of two things. I Ray Montgomery, obviously, if you follow his track record wants to be a GM I think that's the end goal for his career and what he wants to do and he wants to be a successful GM when Matt Arnold gets promoted to GM effectively locking him into the Brewers organization barring his contract going and him exploring better opportunities or coming to an agreement with the club that lets him move on to being a true GM that locked Ray Montgomery out of the advancement he was looking for so once Matt Arnold doesn't move anywhere else Ray Montgomery is now kind of stuck where he's at. Maybe he moves up to assistant general manager and actually takes on a little bit more responsibility, but it does slow his career tra- her trajectory. And when that happens, you lose good people in the front office. So he moved to the Angels where that opportunity is potentially going to be more available to him. And it's a sign that you have a good front office when people are scouting it and p- trying to pick from it.
1: Yeah. And the thing to note about this is they've really had a tremendous amount of stability at the top end of their front office, even though they've been very successful under David Stern's tenure. They've kept these guys all together for about five years now. I think this is, yeah, yeah, this is five years now, right? So to lose somebody of Ray Montgomery's quality was going to happen. It was inevitable. You're going to, if you're doing a good job, you're going to lose people and you don't want to stand in the way of people moving up and and continuing on. You want to keep them around as long as possible, but you also don't want to stand in the way of them advancing because that's going to keep you from getting good young executives to come in. And Ray Montgomery, he's a different career path than a lot of GMs. He would be, I think, it is interesting to see him go with Manasian who is more of more similar to him than most g m s where nowadays you have guys coming out of ivy league schools or you know big time uh, academic institutions who have less of a playing scouting background and more of a numbers crunching background right they have more of the the m b a background and that's sort of taken over in m l b front offices of late and Montgomery is going to a place where that is not as big a focus. Obviously, with uh, with Artie Moreno in charge, so I can see the fit making sense. I don't know how well they're going to be able to do things because it doesn't seem like the people who run the front office of the Angels are given much leeway. I don't think they're given much. I think they have their hands tied quite a bit. So from that perspective. It may not be the, the greatest move for him to advance because I don't know what they can actually do with Artie Moreno meddling the way that he does from the top down, but it is an opportunity and a, a place for him to to potentially grow his career if he can figure out a, a way to do that there.
0: Yeah, I think it's an interesting fit because... You know, you mentioned he's much more of the scouting mentality. Maybe that's kind of what the angels were trying to do, knowing that they have some of these very large contracts that are locked in. They're going to have to try to find talent in other areas. And that's always been an issue in the Mike Trout era is finding the talent to surround him, Brad. You mentioned some of the hits that the brewers have had under his watch. Maybe that's something that they're looking forward to, but yeah, you're both spot on. And I know Paul mentioned this a week or two ago too. It's not even just in baseball, but like in a business world setting, it, it's if you have good people, it's a kind of a compliment to have them poached by other organizations. It's, it's a good sign in some ways. Yeah, it creates a hole. But I know, Ryan, you mentioned it, it's a good reputation builder for the brewers, too. Like, hey, we have a reputation of, you know, we'll, we'll teach you what you need to know. And we won't stand in the way of those opportunities most of the time. Um, and Even before this happened, how many times in the past two or three years have we talked about Ray Montgomery and Matt Arnold being eyed up for GM jobs across the league? So obviously, people think very highly of what the Brewers are doing, at least in the front office sense. So that's just another sign. And we'll have to see how they backfill that. But David Stern's track record is anything. You know, he knows what he's looking for to kind of reinforce that organizational philosophy. And I'm, I'm sure they'll try to fit somebody else in to kind of fill that role so
2: i think that they already have it right and tom flanagan kind of took over as the guy who leads the draft and takes right. over in that regard they were advancing ray montgomery because they knew he was a special talent and they made a spot that a lot of baseball organizations don't have for him right so it's not a, good a job
0: plan. to keep up basically right? <laughs> right
2: right they knew that if they don't advance him past the guy who makes the draft decisions and don't give him more power he's going to leave So they kept giving him more power, more responsibility, help get him ready for his career. Now that he's gone until you have another person where that's a necessity, you don't really have to fill Ray Montgomery's shoes because you have what the organization needs to operate. So unless you have someone deserving of a spot like they created for Montgomery, you don't actually have to hire a new person or move anyone up.
0: Sure. You can just kind of shuffle around the responsibilities and and kind of take, take care of that in a different way. For right. sure.
2: Let Matt hire an assistant general manager. <laughs> that's, that's what it is. Or an assistant to the general manager. Like Craig Council was before Ray Montgomery.
0: Right. All right. Well, speaking of the Angels, that kind of takes us to our first Patreon question. It comes from Adam Post. Uh Brewers also lost somebody else to the Angels this week. The bane of Brad's existence, Alex Claudio going to Anaheim as a free agent. So Adam's question here is: Will the Angels finally make the playoffs again after signing ace reliever Alex Claudio? Brad, I know you have a lot of feelings tied up on the draft pick that would have been and Alex Claudio. So go ahead. You
2: you you ready for it? Yeah. Nah 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 nah, nah 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 nah. <laughs> hey hey hey, goodbye. <laughs> you should have been gone a year ago. <laughs> Why were was this even a thing? I get it. They can sign you for like pennies, and you're like, "Oh, come out and throw with oh, 88 miles per hour, and it won't be that effective." But one time, I was worth one more, and draft picks are rarely worth war at all. So when you look at the valuation of what is signed, it was it's best. Sex.
0: I don't think I was Claudia talks this way, but okay, yeah.
2: <laughs> I'm talking about the people who justify Alex Claudia. Oh,
1: okay, I don't think anybody talks that way, to be honest. <laughs>
2: I don't think anyone but gold prospectors from like 1849. <laughs> no,
0: was is that what you're going for? It's on the podcast. <laughs> uh,
2: no, it, I, I don't know. I feel like Alex Claudio as a reliever or as a reliever profile, he was fine in 2019, but with the new rules, he's kind of dead. He showed that he can't be very effective anymore. When you look at his statistics from last year, Full innings didn't really play with him well. He was fine as like a guy who goes out there and eats innings because you can use his arm for forever because he's only throwing 88 miles per hour. But you have players who do Alex Claudio things better on the team who you pay less and weren't huge mistakes from an acquisition standpoint when you <laughs> back draft capital.
0: He's a proven closer, Brad. How dare you disrespect him like that?
1: Capital P, capital C,
2: proven closer. I would legitimately throw... 80 innings of Hernan Perez and his knuckleball (laughs) over Alex Claudio. If I were manager, I'd be the manager who like Brad Pitt's coming down and they're like, why aren't you throwing Claudio? And it's like, because he sucks.
1: (laughs) I mean, he was fine. He had his uses, but yes, the, the change in, in the rules does limit his, his effectiveness and puts a manager in a tough position where playing him, can lead to moments where if you're going to use him in high leverage, that you can end up with him in there in a position you really don't want him in there for, right? You can get stuck kind of having him in there and being forced to keep him in there, even though a a team may pinch it for a big right-handed power bat. And that's the last thing you want to see at that point. So yeah, whatever. (laughs) We don't have to listen to people complain about Alex Claudio anymore. Do you know how much I had to listen to Steve complain about Alex Claudio? Like, I, I don't need that anymore in my life.
0: So it's personal for, for both reason. of you is, is, is what we're saying here. Yeah.
2: For good reason, because here's how you evaluate whether a player is good for your team. One, are they dominant? Alex Claudio, no. Two, are they entertaining? Alex Claudio, no. Oh, come on. That little wiggle? That wiggle is
0: entertaining. Yeah, yeah come but on. But he doesn't, like, Especially have, when like, Ernan is, like, mocking it.
2: Yeah, <laughs> He doesn't have, like, personality, though. He's not out there uh, cheering with Brent Suter as he hits a dummy batter with a drumstick (laughs) like there there, there's nothing engaging about his personality except for a wiggle three does he offer anything off the field that cannot be replaced no four did he cost a draft pick that could have gone to something better Yes. (laughs) but he doesn't check any of the four boxes in a positive way get out go
0: you're done
2: you're not welcome here
0: anymore wow I will say, so, yeah, he, it looks like he's kind of going to be part of a rebuilt bullpen, at least with the Angels, because they also traded for Rizal Iglesias, which remember the one year the Reds tried to be good? Wasn't that fun? And now they're definitely not. So Well, no,
1: they, they tried for two years, probably very foolishly. And now it's going to be, now they're going to have to pay the piper for it, which is what yeah. we said at the time was, yep, there's very little chance that this works, but they are definitely going to get like screwed down the road for it so anytime you can uh have the relative of was it dick williams was like a relative of the ownership there he was some sort of relationship there so they just like he he was removed from his job as the general manager running the baseball ops and he just went to some other job within the company like that tells you all you need to know about how yeah, how the Reds are are operating is like he just went someplace else within that their their empire and, yeah, got got a job there.
2: This is the ninetieth percentile result or not even the, like it happens ninety percent of the time. So I guess the tenth percentile result, I don't know. Uh, but it whenever a team that doesn't regularly behave this way goes out and signs a bunch of players to try to create a super team, this is almost what happens exclusively every time.
0: Like, it's like a happened. year and a half later, yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, it happened to the Marlins. It happened to the Padres. It happened to the Reds. Like, it, they sign a bunch of players. They're like, ah, we had the core to be good, and they're like, oh no, we gave up the core to be good for all these veterans who are now aged past their prime, and we don't want to pay them anymore. Get them out. Get them out. Abandon ship.
0: How long has Iglesias kind of been on MLB trade rumors? Like at every deadline oh, for the past two or three years, right? Yeah, Because the yeah. contract situation is actually pretty solid for, for an arm like that. But
2: And then they managed to trade him when closers are at their least valuable.
0: Right. Yeah. And, and the return didn't seem to be too hot. And now they're, you know, you see the rumors. Their Nationals might trade for Eugenio Suarez, which could get them the hell out of the NL Central and away from <laughs> the Brewers. But, you know, that kind of points towards a total rebuild there. And, and you're in a situation now where literally the entire division is trash. So good rumors for the Brewers, I guess. But yeah, Rumors <laughs> are they're trying to trade Sonny Gray. Yep,
1: I heard that too. That Gray oh, has been no. discussed at least,
2: so all right. bring well, let's start the brewers, brewers back, back up again back the brewers. but let's yes. that, uh, bring that to reality and then when the reds can't afford to pay for dj the brewers be- bring back dj and everything's <laughs> fixed <laughs> sorry chris hook i like you but
0: dj he can go coach the bullpen or something i don't know all right more patreon questions devin Beowulf is asking what do you think is the main cause for orlando arcia's defensive struggles do you also think That the Brewers ask him to cover up for the defensive failing of Keston Hira and others. Does that kind of play a role? I'm not sure I I buy into that too much just because of how much the Brewers shift overall to kind of cover that up. But what are your thoughts?
1: Right, that's that is much more of what they do. Is they are willing to accept defensive shortcomings, especially in the infield, especially I think at second base. Like we can really sort of say that they were willing to put Travis Shaw there, they were willing to put Mike Moustakas there. They don't really value second base defense because they think they can sort of manipulate things around and and shift and do things that make it less impactful. So I'm, yeah, that I really don't think that that comes into it. I don't know. What is going on with Orlando Arcia in his development path is so strange. We're we're seeing a just the sort of delay of him being really good. And I guess when we had Eric Long and hanging on on the minor league pod, he talked about the idea that Arcia sort of fits in this in this category of player that teams, especially like the Brewers, are maybe sort of getting away from in that they're less concerned about getting a guy who can potentially be good in their late 20s. But if you sign them as an international amateur, that's not going to be in your control period, right? Like Orlando Arcia, I bet you turns into a pretty solid player in his late 20s, early 30s, and is a a useful player. But that's not going to be during the Brewers control period, right? So teams have sort of gotten away from players like this in terms of valuing them highly early on because they know that there's a lot of work that's going to be needed to to sort of develop them up over time and I I think we have seen the progress with Arcia his bat definitely progressed last year and I don't know what to make of the defense because that was specifically the question here I don't know what to make of the defense because we've seen wide disagreement from the very beginning of his big league career. We've seen wide disagreement on uh, Orlando RC's defensive metrics, depending on what you looked at. I know sure. that uh, the baseball prospectus numbers liked him quite a bit. Other numbers didn't like him nearly as much. So I think that and especially last year, it's just too small a sample to really believe anything. I, so we're just going to have to continue to wait and see. I think that there's a very excellent chance, obviously, because they did sign him to that pre arbitration deal that we're going to see him back again in 2021 for the Brewers. And maybe we will see him continue to take steps forward offensively and you know perhaps gain back some of that value he had defensively a few years ago. But, man, it's just a weird career path and it's really hard to draw many firm conclusions out of it. Referencing back
2: to that Longenhagen interview we had, he compared him to Kettle Marte, and I think that's a pretty accurate comparison, not in terms of what Arcea could be, but in terms of how the development path was negatively impacted and could result. And Marte was brought up a little bit early because the Mariners really needed to build excitement in the organization and keep fan base entertained, which is exactly why Arcea was brought up. Arcia was brought up when the team was at their worst and they just needed some level of fan engagement. And shortstop was bad. It was objectively bad. So they bring up Arcia, play him at the position, and build some excitement at the detriment of his development. So with that, we've had basically four to five years of watching Orlando Arcia develop in front of our eyes. And he's been better, but he's still excited Exceedingly young. It's easy to forget
0: he's only what, like 25 right now? <laughs> like <Yeah>.
2: 26. <laughs> so he just yeah. turned 26. So although I've been one of the most negative observers of Arcia, I would say in the Brewer's Twitter sphere, I've known that it's not necessarily his fault, but it was more at what the organization the organization needed at an entertainment perspective. I think the organization made an accurate measurement of that they can survive pretty well with a one war player. In that position and hopefully his defense would evolve but he was young when he came up and he was projected to be a gold glover his defense was already sound but it's the yeah. hardest one of the hardest defensive positions to play in all of baseball probably be- right behind catcher mm-hmm. even though he was it, the projection his defensive measurements were always projections and when you had to learn that at the hardest level while balls are being hit harder and faster every single year because yeah, of the change too. in ball development, it becomes harder and harder to do that. We've seen a lot of flashes about what his natural talent can do, but natural talent can only get you so far. You need refinement and strategic practice, which we know is not something that can be regularly done at the major league level. And that's why he's had to go down to AAA a few times in his major league career that, so far. Like if his bat was what it was last year, but his defense was what we were told it was, he is a player you can deal with all the time.
1: Oh, yeah, he's a cornerstone player at that point.
2: Yeah, right. But his defense just hasn't come. And I mean, when we talk about, like I said, like the changing elements, Paul's being hit harder than he's ever seen in his career and all those other elements, along with being responsible for a lot more shifting in the major leagues than anything else and having to like learn new ways to cover, learn new ways to handle uh, your responsibilities. There's a lot to take in that I think we kind of gloss over when we're looking at a kid learning his career.
0: I think in a lot of ways, like the next year or so is kind of really pivotal for his career as a whole, right? Because you're in that 25, 26 year old season now. You have a potential replacement on the roster behind you with Luis Urias. We can and we have debated how motivated the Brewers are to put him at shortstop or if they see him somewhere else. But like, regardless, there's another option there on the roster for him. So now uh, it's kind of that I don't want to question motivation or whatever, but hey, you would hope that's a motivating factor to kind of get. Stuff together too, and in a lot of ways, this next year could kind of make or break it, at least for his future in Milwaukee, but kind of the the career overall too. Because uh, if he's not going to hit, then you're looking at a reserve infielder role, and if you're going to be a reserve infielder, you need to play defense a hell of a lot better than he's played in the last year or two, so, or be
1: a lot more flexible than what we've seen. Which I mean, right? Granted, that's mostly on the Brewers because they haven't tried him anywhere else, but he doesn't have like a lot of reps that we have seen that's at the second yeah, base point and too. third base. So there's no such thing as, you know, just a backup single position infielder. Like yeah. you got to be able to go to different places.
0: Right. That's really interesting too. And I kind of wonder why we haven't seen that yet. I'm sure, you know, coaching staff has their own inklings on maybe why he doesn't translate as well to those other positions, but it, I'm just really interested to see what happens with him in the next year. So another kind of uh development prospecty question comes from Aslatam. He says, I'm hoping that David Fre- Freitas is not going to be Daniel Vogelbach's platoon partner at first base. I don't think we have to worry too much about that. He's assuming that he and Jacob Nottingham will, or could be traded for prospects. So I guess I don't see them trading Nottingham, but Ryan, if either of those were on the block, I guess, what could the return be? I think that, We're going to
1: see somebody get traded out of that group because we can't keep everybody. You're not going to be able to. We know that, uh, was it, Nottingham is out of options and can't be sent down, and that uh, Luke Malley can be sent down, though, right? That's, we know that he can be. So they're going to have to make some decisions between Pena, Narvaez, Nottingham. I don't think they're going to carry three catchers for the majority of next season. So they're going to have to make, uh, they're going to have to make decisions at various points. I don't know if you had somebody that really particularly valued Nottingham and thought that uh, that he could potentially be a, a, a really good catcher. Maybe you could get something of, of consequence for him, but I, Freitas doesn't doesn't move the needle. I think it, it's far more likely that these players get released than they get traded for anything specifically.
2: Best case scenario, it's cash or a player to be named later at how they value Nottingham as a defensive replacement and pop off the bench. I think they will carry him as a third catcher for when they can, but there's a decent chance that he ends up getting DFA would to clear a spot if he's not being a useful bat on the bench. But in terms, I think he's proven that he has potential value for the organization after last year, especially as a, even if you need him to be strictly defensive, but a guy who provides some power And we know Manny Pena is getting older. Older catchers have higher risks of injury. You need the right side of that platoon. Nottingham out of the right-handed options under Pena has the highest upside offensively. Freitas has been in the organization for a few years now, has never gotten a shot in the major leagues despite them needing catchers in terms of times of injury. So obviously they do not view him as that piece. And no other organization has come knocking to get him yeah he just seems i think brian's 100 percent right like a cut he's always been kind of the quad a player in my mind where he's just there to be the veteran catcher at triple a and that's his role
1: and it limits other teams abilities and options too that they wouldn't be able to send him down so that definitely does that's become a a big thing in terms of roster machinations that it's definitely become a, a huge deal in recent years we've seen it Intensely with Milwaukee.
2: Yes, absolutely. Uh, very, very intensely managed with this organization, and something that we know we measure anytime someone gets signed. It was one of the first things when melee gets signed
0: that we looked at. <laughs> right. Do, does that person have an option?
2: Yeah, it's something Plus that it number is.
0: one or two on uh, David Stern's checklist. Not necessarily Brad's, but yeah.
2: Yeah, and <laughs> it's one of those things. It's uh, pretty high on my checklist because that means yeah. I get to watch him at the minors, right? <laughs> right. So. Right. Uh, it, but it's one of those things where we know as a fan base, we've been trained if we pay attention to that or that detail. So basically anyone listening to this pod, that that's something we have to look for in everyone they sign and whether they can play in the minors and be that body at triple a, you need players who can play catcher. That's all free. has really been in my mind.
0: Yeah. All right. One last Patreon question. It comes from Vinnie Cornels. This is kind of a fun one, but he's asking, "What would your guys walk up warm up songs be?" So this is always a fun question, I think, to think about. Ryan, if you were walking up to the plate, what, what do you got?
1: So I was thinking about like my favorite ones from Over Time, and I, there are two that really stand out to me. One was when Prince Fielder would walk up to the uh, the THX sound because he's a big dude. and I'm a big dude. Oh, yeah. So like that one would, <laughs> that would be great. Cause it, it just, it sounds like, Oh, this, you know, somebody's about to hit a dinger is basically what that <laughs> thing sounded like. So, yeah. uh, the other one that I was always stuck with me, and this is cause I'm, uh, uh, an old deadhead when we had Chad Moeller, who's like the total non-deadheadiest person that you could think of. He used to walk up to uh, shakedown street, which is a very like funky sort of seventies bass beat sort of thing, and I always enjoyed that. Steve and I always enjoyed that when uh, he would come up to bat for the Brewers. Not that he was going to do something good, except that one time he randomly hit a for the cycle in a game. He but, for the cycle, yeah, yeah. He, yeah. So it's him and Jody Garrett.
2: You, you don't expect it to be, except for when it's Christian Yelich twice in a season. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. All right. I guess Brad. What's what's your uh, walk up warm up play uh, playlist here?
2: My current workout jam has been "What's Up Danger" from the Spider Man Into the Spider Verse soundtrack. That's just been like my my jam lately. It it just is like perfect beat, perfect pacing to get me like amped up. I don't think it's necessarily descriptive of who I would be as a hitter, but (laughs) it's it's just something that like if you need if you're going and you're doing something athletic and you need something to get you in the right mental mindset. That's kind of where I lie at. Otherwise, it's uh, The Devil is a Lie by Rick Ross and Jay-Z. <laughs>
0: nice. Nice. Yeah. I'll say, like, some of my favorite walk-up songs over the years have been Ryan Braun's. He's He's got a <laughs> great taste picking out his uh, Go-Getta. Always a great one.
1: What was the Lupe Fiasco one?
0: Superstar. Yeah. So he's yeah. always been uh, very uh, humble with his... Uh,
2: <laughs> it's very on like brand. for a bit
0: yeah uh, I think my favorite of his though was after the biogenesis thing when that was still going on, but he wasn't suspended yet. Uh, he he had a it was all a dream by Jay-Z where it's got the line about the whole industry being mad at me <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> um, I, I I love uh little nuggets like that. so he, he he's always been one of my favorites. I guess to answer this question, I'll go with uh, what I usually choose for my music for my MLB the show players. I guess batter walk-up songs, you know, can't go wrong with "Power" by Kanye. Uh, that's that's a mm-hmm. classic one for me. Damn, it feels good to be a gangster. <laughs> also, nice little uh, chill vibe to it. But uh, if you're if you're going relief pitcher entrance music, you want it to be, kind of be like intimidating, right? So, Brad, this is where I go wrestling dork, and I say the Undertaker's theme. I feel <laughs> like that's perfect uh, closer music. Uh,
2: it has the uh, bell tone to it, so yeah, it's like, it homage to Hoffman exactly.
0: To Exactly. Uh just, just the sense of dread that you need for good closer music. So I guess that would be my answer there.
2: I can't believe when we're looking back at players and good walk up music history that we don't mess it her mention a thousand miles. <laughs> which was Brett Phillips' walk up song for a little bit.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I great. mean, speaking of Brett Phillips and music, the uh the theme from Jurassic Park. Yep. That is beautiful well no that was
2: uh brent Suter. Suter. brent Suter uses the dressing oh, so, yeah
1: sorry 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 yeah
2: <laughs> although brent phillips should just be a loop of him laughing yeah it should be, <laughs> it should be like, very disconcerting for a picture i think <laughs> i think john um, axford's walk-up song i can't remember what it was but they're like get up scream was like one of my favorite closer songs that like always got me it had like the perfect intensity for a closer coming out of the yeah. bullpen it was yeah. also modern and closers tend to favor her that late 80s power rock
0: rock type of i mean yeah you got mario Rivera within her sandman right so yeah that's which he didn't even talent. pick
1: that was just somebody picking for him
0: who yeah. who on the yeah.
1: brewers came up to uh the black keys was it jim henderson did he use the black keys
0: it sounds like a big hendo pick it sounds yeah. vaguely familiar yeah. okay yeah, I, I don't remember what song he would have had. Was it Gold on the Ceiling? I don't remember. Anyway.
2: Remember. Uh, John Axford was New Noise, so I got that.
0: Nice.
2: <laughs> uh, I don't yeah. remember Henderson's, and that's a shame because I went to a lot of games when he was closer.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can't think of it now. It, it'll probably come to me once we're done. All right. We do have a Twitter question, too, uh, and we kind of referenced this earlier. Michael McNamara says, he's heard it mentioned before on the pod but not quite explained What happened between Doug Melvin and Nashville, and why do we keep joking about it? So, Brad, do you want to go into the Gritty D hit tales here? Toxic relationship between the Nashville Sounds and Doug Melvin.
2: Once upon a time, there was a Brewers organization who played in Nashville for the (laughs) Sounds. Uh, I won't do that the entire way. We'll have so many (laughs) tune-outs. So the Brewers and the Sounds had a pretty long-standing relationship, kind of like uh, Biloxi when they were Huntsville Stars and the Brewers. They had a long-standing relationship. And the Nashville Sounds, through most of that relationship, had one of the worst stadiums in all of minor league or just in baseball in general. It It was Roadie, gross, the facilities barely worked, things were broken, things were too small. It was very hard for a AAA team, especially one a footstep away from the major leagues, to operate in and do so well and comfortably. So Nashville had a pretty hard time getting permission and funding to build a new stadium. Who came to the rescue? Doug Melvin and the Brewers. They helped get the city to get on board with a new stadium, helped get funding for the new stadium and get it built And the second that new stadium opened Nashville sounds did not resign on their contract because the brewers were no longer a big enough triple a draw because a lot of their superstars and competitive players had already made it to the major leagues and they hadn't had the deepest farm system. So there wasn't really a reason for fans to go to a Nashville game because they weren't winning and they didn't have star stud prospects to go and seek out. So instead they signed with the Oakland A's who continually had a competitive organization and had pretty good prospects at the time to kind of tout and show fans and be the face of the organization. Doug Melvin was like, what the hell? We just helped you. We brought you plenty of profit when you had the worst stadium ever and we stuck with you through all this. Why is this happening? And Nashville was like, eh, business decisions. That's basically it. So Doug Melvin was the kind Canadian who did the right, what he viewed as the right thing then got screwed from business maneuvers in his mind. And I think I agree with him when it comes down to it. Especially if you look at the same thing that happened in Huntsville-Biloxi. Huntsville, again, it, it wasn't quite the situation that Nashville was in, but they improved their stadium, they got a new stadium, moved to a new city, stuck with the Brewers all the way, and ended up paying dividends for both organizations. Nashville yeah. abandoned that. Instead, the Brewers still have a great relationship with the former Huntsville, now Biloxi.
0: And to this day, Doug Melvin, sworn enemies with the city of Nashville and the Nashville South.
2: Yeah, I I actually have seen video of Doug Melvin. He continually goes the day before opening day, knocks on the door and leaves a flaming bag on the front of the Nashville stadium.
0: (laughs) I I don't know if that's factually correct.
2: Gordash and him sit in the bushes giggling, waiting for the Nashville owner to come and stomp out the bag. (laughs) <laughs> and because it's Canadian, it's like full of like shoe polish, not turds. Sure. So he stomps it yeah, out, it but then he mean. has clean, fresh shoes.
0: Very considerate. And then, all right,
2: he gets mailed a note that says, "Sorry,
0: <laughs> sorry." Yeah, exactly. Okay, we well, want to do one more thing. Ryan had this idea, so a uh, little little game we'll play here. Ryan, can you explain the rules to us and the, the kind listening audience here? What, yeah. what are we going to be doing?
1: So this is an, another game that I've ripped off from the uh, Football Ramble podcast. This is called Luke's Game. There's no Luke here, but Luke Moore of the Football Ramble podcast is the one who came up with this, and it is wonderful. So here's how this works. You guys are going to be given a player and a number of uh, teams that they played for in their career, and you are going to have to bid to tell me how many you can name. So for instance, we'll use as an example here, uh, Richie Sexton. Richie Sexton has five teams. And for this game, you're going to get a freebie on all these because every one of these was a brewer at one point. So okay. there are five teams in Richie Sexton's history. And I would go to one of you and say, okay, James, you uh, you get to bid here first. How many of Richie Sexton's teams can you name of the five? Now, knowing that you have to do this pretty quickly, because as mm-hmm. Luke always says, a uh, a good game is a quick game, so you have mm-hmm. to uh, you have to do this relatively quickly, and if you get it wrong, if you say a team that is not one of their teams, you instantly lose the point and it goes to the other person, so you have to be correct in all of your picks, okay? Okay. So if I were to say Richie Sexton has five teams, James, how many could you give there?
0: I mean, I know this, so all the four outside of the Brewers, yeah. Yeah,
1: so you know all five, okay.
0: Yeah, can you can you do it in order? Brad's shaking his head like he knows he's gonna get demolished in this. I
2: am going
0: to blue, like, <laughs> but, but okay, so I'm Richie Zachary, uh, because was because Cleveland. I'm yeah, yeah, okay. So Richie, so I could say I I can do all four. It's Cleveland, Arizona, Seattle, and the New York Yankees.
1: Yep, that is the order of operations
2: there. So yep, See, there. You I didn't. he played for Cleveland. I I knew three of those yeah. comfortably. Yeah, but he, he came from, from Cleveland. Cleveland. That's where he we got him from.
0: To, yeah, he traded from uh, Cleveland I to the Brewers. He didn't
2: pay attention to the Brewers before <laughs> 2004.
1: <laughs> well, that could make this a little tough for you, Brad, because uh, you're going to be up first here, so you're going to bid. And uh, the number one is sort of a uh, uh, an infamous Brewer. Uh, that would be Gary Sheffield. And Gary Sheffield uh, has eight teams. Oh, geez, he teams.
2: has eight teams? I mean, three. Three.
1: <laughs> You can name three, James. Yeah. <laughs> James, can you
0: go four? Uh, yes, I can. Brad, can you go five?
2: Yeah, sure. Whatever. There's eight teams. I'll guess. <laughs> it gives me
0: a third of the league. <laughs> okay.
1: Okay, James, can you go six?
0: I don't know if I can do six. Okay, Brad, so Brad, you can take five. All right. Okay, so, so Brad, you need five. to
1: you need to go five, or the point goes to James.
2: So Gary Sheffield is Marlins, Brewers, Mets.
1: Okay, Marlins, Brewers, Mets. Yep. Mets is a tough yeah. one. Yankees?
0: Yeah, I'd get that one. Yankees? Yankees is
1: correct. We're at four. Can you get your fifth? Uh,
2: this is the hard one. This is the hard one. Got to go quick. Got to go quick. Um, oh, you're typing. I oh, hear typing. No, that was me uh, pounding on my legs. Oh, okay.
0: <laughs> that, yeah,
2: we don't we, we don't uh, tolerate any cheating game, here. Hands in the air, hands above the keyboard. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Trivia rules, phones down. Um, yeah, phones
2: down. Uh, New York Mets, New York Yankees, Marlins. I'm going to need uh, an Atlanta answer, please. Braves. Atlanta Braves. The Atlanta Braves is correct. The yeah. Atlanta ah. Braves <laughs> is correct.
1: So Gary Sheffield started with the Milwaukee Brewers. He was traded to the San Diego Padres. Uh, He then signed as a free agent, I believe, with the uh, Florida Marlins. He was in Florida for actually quite a while uh, and then was uh, traded to the Dodgers in their first big fire sale post, uh, uh, post winning. I had forgotten like he was with the Dodgers for many, many years. He was with the Dodgers for parts of four seasons. I totally blanked on that. So that that didn't stand out to me. He then was in Atlanta, had some good years in Atlanta, uh, then was with the Yankees and sort of finished out the sort of real productive part of his career with the Yankees. He also then uh, spent a couple years in Detroit.
0: What? Uh, Yeah, he was in Detroit in
1: 2007, 2008 and uh, finished up with the Mets, which you had, Brad, which I never that would have been Detroit. The Mets, those would have been tough for me.
2: The Brewers played him maybe for when he hit the 500th home run or is very near hitting 500. That's why I remember it is because they played him in the Met or he was playing like the worst left field since Barry Bonds. <laughs> and I remember <laughs> I he was in the 500 there. home run chase. I think he hit his number five, Gary uh, Sheffield 500th home run. I think it was against the Brewers.
1: All right. So we're moving on to the next one here. Uh, Brad gets the point for Gary Sheffield. So it, James- it was. Yes. Yeah, James, you get the first bid on this one, and that would be outfielder Marquise Grissom. Outfielder oh, Marquise Grissom, and oh, um, uh, Grissom is six clubs, six
0: teams. Six. So are are we including the Brewers in in this number? Mm-hmm. Yes, 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 yes. The Brewers okay. are one of the yeah. Three. I, can, can, I think I can do three. You can do three, three for
1: Marquise Grissom. Okay, Brad, can you go four? I could go one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. This is this is a little bit tougher for the youngins. Okay. Uh, okay.
0: Oh, so James, you need to go three. Well, now I'm doubting myself. Crap. Uh. Well, Brewers. Uh. Cleveland. Atlanta. That is correct. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yep. Oh, he so he that is a. Deal.
1: That is a point for James. Yep, Montreal is where he started and actually came to uh, prominence in the 90s there for a a while.
2: But because anyone who played in the 90s
0: played on Montreal. Yeah, if you were good. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Eventually, At some point, yeah.
2: Yep, he
1: was on those teams with uh, Moises Alou and Larry Walker. Yeah, he was was Uh, a very, very very good player. Yeah. Um, He was then traded to Atlanta. Or, you know, he signed with Atlanta. Atlanta traded him to Cleveland in the Kenny Lofton trade. Mm -hmm. and then uh, spent I had no idea he was with the Brewers for three years that seems amazing to me
0: in the dark ages yeah
1: yeah there really was in 98 through uh 2000 yeah and then he was with the Dodgers uh for a couple seasons and finished his career with three seasons in San Francisco
2: so remember how the Brewers actually had one good season in the 90s just no one remembers it
1: (laughs) you mean 92 yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah yeah I remember because we all were, we knew Molitor was leaving and that was, that was sad. So anyway. All right. Moving on next one, Brad. And Oh, this is going to be terrible for you. So actually that's (laughs) just (laughs) do it. Don't be nice to him. Yeah. It's going to be terrible. Well, no, I mean the bidding. Yeah. So uh, this would be Eric young, senior, Eric young, senior, and uh, he has seven teams, God, seven teams. I'm, pretty confident i can name three of them you name three for eric young senior all right james can you go four
0: i could guess four <laughs> do you want to do you want to do that yeah i'll do four okay brad can you
1: describe brad, you <laughs> brad's gonna go five okay
0: i'm out go all right it. brad go ahead
1: go ahead with five i'm i'm shocked but go ahead Brewers Dodgers
2: Mets Montreal <laughs> are those four correct? Eh. Damn it. I Wait. hate everything. <laughs> that
1: that is that is incorrect. Uh the Mets are not on there and Montreal is not on there actually. Damn oh, wow. I was that is, that it. That is that is incorrect. Met. He uh he started his career in 1992 one year with the uh Dodgers and then ended up in Colorado for uh the next yeah. uh oh, next 4 right, years mine yeah was traded back to the Dodgers uh as a 30-year-old uh spent a couple years with the Cubs in his 30s and then was with the Brewers in 2002 now talk about a bad Brewer season that's uh that's truly horrific it was the year he was uh with the Brewers he then started 2003 with the Brewers and was traded to the Giants uh and then wrapped up his career in Texas uh what? San Diego yep uh, Texas and okay, San Diego, I randomly and back San Diego. to to Texas yeah, yeah.
2: So. just saying I said Dodgers and he played for them twice that should count twice
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry but it does not that is it uh, wouldn't matter it?
2: anyways I'd still got it horribly wrong I got is... I guessed four of my five and I got half of them right
1: <laughs> all right so we are back to James now for the next one James your player is Jeremy Burnett's and he played for oh. six clubs
0: six how do you get to six he played okay. for
1: six clubs uh damn
2: three i can maybe do three
1: you can do three okay brad can you do four with burnett's can you do four?
2: Three, three is pretty much where i'm stuck at
1: okay so that would be james you get to name your three
0: uh brewers mets TikTok. Uh, TikTok is uh
2: social media
0: Pittsburgh.
2: pittsburgh is correct
1: he ended his yes. season in or he ended his career in pittsburgh so james you won this game we're gonna play the last player because i did have five but uh okay. yeah so the the order of <laughs> progression here was the mets which you had he uh then briefly was in cleveland very briefly was in yep. Cleveland. He had just a few, uh, few appearances there. Uh, spent the bulk of his prime in Milwaukee. Then was back to the Mets in 2002. Spent some time with the Dodgers. Was traded from the Mets to the Dodgers in 2003. Spent a little time in Colorado in 2004. Huh. And uh, had a 37 home run season. Shocking. In 2004 in Colorado. And then uh, he, uh, in 2005... Uh, Played for the Cubs, which I definitely got because I saw him hit a home run into the teeth of the wind there on uh, what was the Cubs opening day against Ben Sheets. And then he did finish his career in Pittsburgh in 2006. So so James.
0: I don't know why I randomly remember the Pittsburgh thing, but yeah. So James did
1: win this, but we have one more and this is on Brad then. And this is truly fun.
0: (laughs) Brad's face if you could see it right now is just pure pain
1: yeah this one uh you you will enjoy jose hernandez jose hernandez and he has he has 11 teams 11 teams
0: (laughs) i can guess eight of them you can guess eight of them james you're gonna take a shot at nine i don't know if I can do nine. So Brad, by all means, go ahead. Brad, please go, note what I said I can guess <laughs> eight of them.
1: Yeah, you're gonna have to. You're gonna have to go slowly
2: here, Brad. Okay. Brewers. Brewers, is correct. Yes. <laughs> Marlins.
1: You did Montreal. not. So I'm gonna go through the uh, the the teams here. Uh, he Sorry. started in Texas, and then Cleveland. That was in 91 and 92, and then played for kind of the bulk of his career. What I really remember him for mostly, aside from being on the Brewers, is being with the Cubs in the 90s. He was with the Cubs for a while and then uh, moved over to Atlanta in 1999, signed a free agent contract with the Brewers in 2000, was there for three years uh, until he was traded to Colorado, went back to the Cubs briefly in 2003. Man, he was on a lot of teams and Pittsburgh in 2000. He was on four teams in 2003. Um, and then, uh, the Dodgers in 2004 back to Cleveland in 2005 (laughs) and, uh, then Pittsburgh and Philadelphia to end out his career. All right. So congratulations to James. (laughs) You win, uh, the admiration of everybody.
2: I'm so like, even players who I followed so noteworthy through their career. I'm so bad at this. (laughs) You think Paul would be any good at this game? I think he would. I think he would do
0: yeah. though. Know, yeah, he's gonna tribute. Okay. It.
1: Or he hates he hates baseball like teams and this sort of thing though. He always complained about it when we did the other one.
0: Oh, when we did, uh, yeah, name that brewer, which yeah. I also won by the way. I'm not gonna break <laughs> too much about. That, but I don't know why, but like remembering, maybe it's because I collected all those baseball cards as a kid, and I just randomly remember seeing certain lines. Of- I don't know.
2: I should be good at this. I spend so much time just looking through old stupid brewer teams on baseball reference and looking at their stats. Like (laughs) I've stupid amount of times doing that in my free time. This may have been a little bit out of your wheelhouse age wise. I was trying
1: to put it in the right era for you guys, but I was trying to also balance Paul in here too. So I was like, I kind of went for a lot of uh, guys who were prominent in the late nineties.
2: Yeah. Sweet spot here. Just ask me things like k Rod Prince Fielder, <laughs> but regardless, like I've spent time going through like oh who is this guy? Like I I have looked at most of these players' baseball reference pages on multiple occasion occasions, and I'm still like whenever you ask me in like a pressure setting, I'm like Boo-hoo. if it w- if it wasn't for me collecting a bunch of ra- one time I helped our trivia team win uh, a round of trivia the only time I played if it wasn't for me amassing a bunch of BS. Memorabilia stuff in my bookshelves. Like, you would have been able to help. I just would have been some useless turd, except for telling people uh, who Juju Smith Schuster was. (laughs) Oh, and telling people to zoom in on a helmet and get a person's name.
0: (laughs) I I do think, like, those early 2000s Brewers teams are perfect for this game because they're just full of so many crappy journeymen who played for a dozen teams that you can get a lot of mileage out of those. But no, yeah, it I don't know why, but I, my, my brain always kind of held on to those. So this is fun. Let's do it again. And not just because I won. All right. Glad you enjoyed no, I'm on my 2003 Brewers play. Royce Clayton would be another fun one. He played 17 years in the majors. Ryan, can you guess them?
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, who yeah. one back your way. Who was yeah. the last team Ben Sheets played for?
1: <laughs> yeah, I could do with Clayton. I could do to Texas and uh, St. Louis. Those are the ones that pop out in my head.
0: I started with the Giants in 1991. Two and a half years in St. Louis. About three and a half, two and a half in Texas. That takes us through 2000. Two years in Chicago with the White Sox. A year with the Brewers. Oh yeah, I remember that. Then we get real weird. Uh, 2004, Colorado, 2005, Arizona, 2006, Washington Nationals and Cincinnati. Oh, that Cincinnati year. Yeah. Yep, definitely. 2007, there's no chance in hell you would ever assume he played for the Toronto Blue Jays, but he did. (laughs) And eight games with uh, the Boston Red Sox. So
2: So. why do you consider me your enemy? (laughs) How much time you got?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Ryan needs to pick on somebody and Steve's not here anymore. That's why.
2: Well, I thought I was going to fill the JP shoes and pick on Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: that was
1: the, that was the job of uh, both of them. That was um, that's how that
2: went. So, all right. I don't have endless hours in a car with Ryan to have material to pick on Ryan with. <laughs> yeah.
1: Endless hours in a car with me would give you plenty of material, yes.
0: Yeah. All right, so we've been scrolling around enough here, so we can wrap it up for the week. This is a fun game. If you have something you want us to talk about, uh, whether it's pub trivia games or just brewers' questions, we put out a call for questions every week on our Twitter account. That's at mke tailgate. Just reply to that tweet with your question, or you can follow each of us online on Twitter. Ryan is at rd top. Brad is at brew crew blue. I'm at James L. And Paul is at Badger Noonan. A reminder too: if you become a patron, you get question priority on our podcasts as well. If you haven't already, please subscribe to us, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever else you get podcasts, hit that subscribe button. You'll get a push alert when we post our new episodes. And while you're there, please leave us a review. Help other people find the podcast. Uh, We appreciate any and all reviews you can leave us. Heads up, we'll be off the next couple of weeks for the holidays here, but there will be a new minor league extra coming in the next week. Uh, In the meantime, we'll also give you a free snippet of that online just to kind of hold you over to the new year in the meantime until then stay well happy holidays happy new year we will see you guys in a couple of weeks